welcome to the Seeds Church Podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe to us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and on our Apple and Spotify podcasts. We hope you enjoy this inspiring message from our Sunday service. I do want to introduce uh, the, the song to you. If you were here last week, um, Mark Elford kicked it off with a, a rock classic, uh, Holy Grail. You know, it does take a while to choose the songs. I mean, for, for example, we've got to make sure that no one else chooses them. So we've got to come up with different songs, and I have to come up with two uh, this year. And then we go through this process, you look at all these great songs, and you think, well, that'd be fantastic, and you get about halfway through and you think, can't sing that in church. <laughs> so you've got to put that aside uh, and, and start again. So when I began to ponder, I was really surprised by what came to my mind. So the songs we choose are actually a discernment process. We don't just pluck them out of nowhere. The song I came up with, with is a country song. Now, I'm not a country music person. We've got a few cheering here in, in the background. So this is, this is for you, Gary. At least one person here is interested in this song to start with. That's a great beginning. Uh, but anyway, it, it has actually become a well-known song. At least I hope you find it that way. It's become a, a bit, bit of a classic in Australia. It's the unofficial song of the Australian cricket team. Should I give you any clues? It's the unofficial strong song of the Australian rugby union team, the Wallabies. It was used for the Australian Made campaign in 1986. Any guesses? Uh, it's often still used at sporting events, and it was sung at Steve Irwin's funeral by the person who wrote the song. Got it? Uh, we are indeed stripping right back from a full band, and Alan is going to sing it to us today. Hey, True Blue. <laughs> hey, True Blue. Don't say you're gone. Say you've knocked off for a smoker. And you'll be back later on Hey, True Blue True Blue Give it to me straight Face to face Are you really disappearing? Just another dying race Hey, True Blue Just to keep the show on the road Hey, True Blue 
Hey, True Blue, is your heart still there? If they sell us out like sponge cake, do you really care? Hey, True Blue. I'm sure you can think of all the theology that's going to come out of that song, can't you? You've, you've got it sorted. You know, it's full of Aussie slang. I do remember growing up that uh, in Port Augusta, and uh, whenever we stopped for morning or afternoon tea, it was always smoko. No one smoked, but it, but it was always smoko. And I remember as an ag scientist, when you're out on farms, I'd say, there's nothing you can't fix without a num- with a piece of number eight fencing wire. I don't know why it had to be number eight, but it must have been just the right thickness uh, to do it with. And you would have heard the song speaks of cockatoos and Vegemite and standing by your mate and bearing the load and keeping the show on the road, giving it to me face and face, you know, being honest and, of course, a piece of sponge cake. A lot of the song is actually about what sort of community we are and how we want to relate to each other. There's something in the song, I think, that is deeply... Australian for many of us. We hear our identity in it. I acknowledge that since Williamson wrote that song that Australian, what is Australian has changed and it's now a great diversity of things from all around the world. And yet I think there is something unique and when you hear that you think, yeah, there's, there's something of me there. There's still something really unique at which we often don't notice until we go overseas. I remember boarding a plane, having been overseas for a number of years, and as I sat down as a Qantas plane, and immediately, what do you hear? You hear the banter and the stirring and the humour of the flight attendants, and immediately I thought, I've come home. So there was something really deep for me that was on that plane that I don't find on Emirates, for example. I mean, they're very polite and they're very nice, but you don't get that thing where you say, this is me. So there is, there is something there. You know, we met some Canadians in the Northern Territory recently, and they initially had quite a bit of trouble with Australian slang. 
as you'd understand, because it is Australian slang, but, but then they came to delight in it. And so we were swimming with them in, in this great big, um, under a waterfall. And so she spills off this great big Australian sentence full of slang. And I just had to laugh and I felt, yeah, that's who I am. I wish I'd written it down. I didn't. Uh, but I'll give you this one. Have a Captain Cook at that Drongo. He's, his life's a dog bre- dog's breakfast. He's got Buckley, so don't let him pull the wool over your eyes. <laughs> I know exactly what that means, and I think quite a few of you do too. I, I acknowledge once again, if you just moved here from overseas, you would find yourself shaking your head, wouldn't you? And you think, my goodness, where have I come to? But Williamson's song actually expresses a concern that some of those deeply held and valuable things about Australian culture are being lost. And, and he's really worried about that, so that he sees Australia, contemporary Australia being more self-centred, lacking in heart, and the things that we value and uphold as Australian citizens, he's worried that are disappearing. And he and we don't want to lose the best things of Australian culture. There's probably some we do want to lose, but there's some that we want to hold on to. And being an Australian citizen is actually quite extraordinary. And I, and I, you know, I have to be really careful here not to make too sweeping a statement. But most people can live relatively well in safety with an extraordinary healthcare system that you find in few other places in the world. And we don't always know that till we go somewhere else and we think, oh, it's really different. I mean, you hear the stories coming out of the US about their healthcare system and you think, gee, how did we end up with what we've got in Australia? It is so extraordinary. However, we also know, as, as much as we want to treasure being an Australian citizen, we also know that being an Australian citizen is temporary. Death has not died out. And the time will come when all those benefits of being Australian citizen, well, they may not count very much at all. So Paul, and and we're going to quote quite a few different passages of scripture today, so you might want to get your devices ready or, or whatever you've got. Philippians 3 and 3 to 6, Paul says this, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Now he's actually talking about his identity too. He's talking about his citizenship in Israel, a citizenship that he was so proud of, a citizenship that led him to be really violent against those who were not of that citizenship. It was also a citizenship that separated him from others because then, of course, you mostly had to be born to be a Jew. But having met Christ, he counts it as rubbish. And I think like a lot of songs where, as they say, you get to the middle of the verse and you think, I can't say that. When the translators got to this one, they thought, oh, I can't say that but I'll do it politely anyway. The word that he uses here for rubbish is actually human excrement. So this extraordinary thing 
the things that he's done, this extraordinary person he's become, that's how he now describes it. And he describes that even though he's had to leave Jerusalem and the temple to go to Rome, to be imprisoned, to not be able to do what he wants, he says, all of that stuff I count as rubbish. He's got no freedom. But yet he has found something that is so extraordinary and imperishable that he wants to leave it behind. So in Philippians two, he go, 3, he goes on to say this in verses 20, 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And, and I'm sure that either, either those of you who have had sporting injuries or those who are as old as I am or more, you think, gee, it'd be nice to have a different body some mornings, wouldn't it? He's saying there's an eternal citizenship that's not based on human categories and things that change. There is more to come after death that is quite amazing. And one of the strongest statements he makes, he makes in Romans 15, 19, he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. How amazing is what is to come as well. And Peter, who, you know, was, well, sometimes he was at loggerheads with Paul, but uh, a key apostle, praise be to God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be received at the last time. Never perish, never spoil, never fade. It's quite an extraordinary thing. It's unlike some of the things that Williamson's singing about in the song, which he sees slipping away. Now, I think there's two sides to citizenship, and the first is God's side, and I'm not going to dwell on that, but I will just quote from Philippians 1 to 6. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I mean, we are basically saying God is faithful, God is always faithful, Christ has done everything that needs to be done for us to become citizens of heaven. But there is another side, and that is our side. A citizen adopts the norms of the society in which they live, to some extent at least. But will we live in a way that shows that, show that we are citizens of heaven. So let's talk about our side. You see, an Australian citizen could seek to be a citizen elsewhere and they could give up their Australian citizenship. In, in fact, if you did that in the past, you certainly had to, though I think there's some exceptions to that now where you can hold at least double passports. But it used to be you could only have one. The phrase true blue that we heard in today's song comes from the 17th century British English 
that means faithful, staunch, unwavering one's commitments and principles. It's thought to have actually originated in Coventry, England. And there were dyers there, and they were quite famous, and they had a reputation for producing material that did not fade with washing. It remained true or colour fast. Now, there, there have been fashion trends at, time, at times. I'm not sure that they're always wise, but fashion trends that are based on fading or even pre-fading. But in general, we want to know that the colour that we've chosen for our clothes will stay that colour. And throughout our whole life as Christians, our calling is to stay true blue, unwavering in our commitment to Christ. So Paul said of himself in Philippians 3.14, and Mark talked a little bit about this last week, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heaven, heavenward in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. And he stresses that commitment, and he does that on a lot of occasions. And I imagine it was because the life of a Christian in those times was really difficult. It was unsafe. You could be killed, you could be tortured, whatever. But he says, press on. And in Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He's really describing characteristics of citizenship in heaven which can be quite different characteristics in societies. Now, our citizenship in heaven is so precious that it should be grasped and held onto with both hands. The Apostle Peter says, live your life no longer by human desires, but by the will of God. And he goes on to remind the exiles, really important word, the exiles who they are. He's talking about their identity as citizens of heaven. So you might like to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we'll focus on these verses a little bit. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 9 to 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Well, let's unpack that a bit and we'll start, start with, I think, thanksgiving. It's really important to be thankful for these things. You know, I know people who have fled to Australia from overseas, from really repressive regimes. They know that if they're sent home, they will die. When they receive Australian citizenship, their rejoicing is palpable. So while we've forgotten how significant it is to be an Australian citizen, they know because in it is life and without it is death. They are truly, truly thankful. And we need to capture something of that and, and remember how special it is to be part of the people of God because we were not a people, but now we are a chosen people. Now, within this congregation and in your circle of friends, 
you will know people who have desperately wanted Australian citizenship. And for whatever reason, they simply have not been able to get it. And they are under threat. But it is different in the kingdom of God. God has chosen us to be citizens in his kingdom. And Ephesians 2 and from verse 19 says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It's, it's like suddenly we get the slang of the kingdom of heaven. We no longer can't speak it or understand it. We get it and we know we're home. While we were once excluded, we've now received mercy. We have joined with Christ. So we can be thankful for that and truly rejoice in it every single day. Second thing we know it is that we are a royal priesthood. Now, we, we, I suppose we can read that really lightly, but actually if you, if you, what we'll try and do is imagine that we're Jews reading this and how extraordinary it is. So, for example, in Israel under the law, only one tribe was given the task of serving as priests. The priests came from the lineage of Aaron, from the tribe of Levi. Only they could approach God in the temple. No other Jew could do that. So if you were a Jew and you're hearing, oh, suddenly I can approach God, how extraordinary is that? That's what's being said here. We take it for granted that we can approach God, but no, actually it's a gift. It's a gift to be thankful for. So very few in Israel held that honour and that responsibility of coming into God's presence. But you know, for us, in and through Christ, we are all priests. We need no mediator. We can go straight to God. I mean, at one level, how bizarre is that? That we can go to the Almighty of the universe and be received. It's why we can converse with God, why, we, why God can lead us, and why we can sing God's praises. The passage goes on to say that we're also a royal priesthood, and, and this was shocking as well, because in the Old Testament, there was a strict separation between royalty and priests. I mean, the priests would anoint a king. The king would need the priests to do that, but it was a separate, separate role. The king would be equipped and empowered by God to do the task of ruling Israel and fighting the battles for the Lord. And we see the Holy Spirit coming upon kings to win battles. Now, priests were also anointed, anointed by the Holy Spirit to minister to God and to the people. But again, these were privileges not for ordinary Jews, just for one king and for this small group of priests. But now we can both be in the presence of God and we are part of the royal family. Remember and be thankful. Don't take it for granted. The third thing is we are a holy nation. And I want to finish here. Now, holy does not mean perfect. I'm sorry to tell you. You may be holy, but I can tell looking from here. 
and if I held up a mirror. And unfortunately, in our society, kind of holy's become uh, to mean better than others. And you may even, talking of, uh, I guess, a slang, that expression, holier than thou, you know, it's, that's a nasty phrase. And it's talking about people who think they've got a superior moral, moral being or, or a moral superiority. We are not morally superior. We're just joined to Jesus. Let's hear again what 1 Peter says. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What do you hear in there? You hear that it's all about God. So it's not about us. So it's not about us being morally superior. It's about us having to have discovered Jesus and joined with him. Holy in terms of us as disciples means being set apart. And as 1 Peter says, what are we set apart for? We're set apart to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's your role. So yes, we're chosen. Yes, we're a royal priesthood. Yes, we're a holy nation. And this leads us to declaring who God is and what God has done. Our identity is for the sake of making God's identity known. So it turns out that as Christians, we are a nation without geographic boundaries, not limited to particular cultures, times, or ethnic groups. We are distinctive. We are a worldwide group belonging to God. During the US Civil War, Abraham Lincoln met with a group of church ministers for a prayer breakfast. Now, he was not much of a churchgoer, but he was a man of deep, if, if, if somewhat unorthodox, faith. At one point, one of the ministers said, Mr. President, let us pray that God is on our side. And as quick as anything, his response actually showed a far greater insight. He said, no, gentlemen, let us pray that we are on God's side. Now, hear the difference there. He reminded them that religion's not a tool by which we get God to do what we want. Rather, we give ourselves to God to do what God wants. And that's what true blue means. Let me pray with you. Thank you, God, that you've chosen us. You've called us by name. And you've invited us into your family. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that we are now your people, built into a spiritual house with Christ as the cornerstone. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Seeds Church podcast. We hope you join in with us next week. For more information, you can visit our website at seedschurch.org.